Your destination is on the left. Yes, 1605. Do you think that people will call the cops on us today? Um, yeah, this is Westfield. <laughs> At least they will already yeah, know it's us know. because we already stopped by the police station <laughs> Hi, we're so and we're like, "Hi, we channel. are, we are here, <laughs> knocking on doors." Go, on. Go knock on your former police chief's door. Turn right. You know, it will all make for good enough audio. Like the town of Westfield does not want to talk about the watcher anymore. Yeah. I'm Jessica Remo, and I'm Rebecca Everett. And as you can tell, we were back in Westfield a few weeks ago, but not because of John List, or not directly. We were doing some digging into a name that just kept coming up back when we did our interviews for Father Wants Us Dead. And it's been coming up a lot more lately, thanks to Netflix. The Watcher. That's right, The Watcher, which has been one of the streaming platform's top shows since it dropped in October. For decades, Westfield was famous for one horrible thing. The family killer so infamous, people would come to just drive by the spot on Hillside Avenue where his mansion once stood. But then in 2015, the world learned about another sinister character in Westfield. A specter looming over another family in another mansion in this seemingly perfect town. Jess, you were part of the Star Ledger team that covered The Watcher when it broke in 2015. Give us the premise. So it starts when a nice family pays $1.3 million for a gorgeous house in Westfield, thinking they've finally found their dream home. But then they start getting letters from the watcher. No one can figure out who it is beyond a mysterious and possibly disturbed person who is clearly watching them. And the letters get more unhinged and more threatening, saying he's going to do something to their kids. The Watcher calls the kids the young blood. The family's too scared to even stay in the house. It's not exactly a pie from Geiger's like the List family got from the neighbors when they moved in. Yeah, and because it is Westfield, it kind of feels like, here we go again, another creepy horror story that's going to make the town famous for all the wrong reasons. The fallout was instantaneous, neighbors suspecting each other and running home to lock their doors, and news vans from around the country descending on this charming street, trying to ferret out the truth. To a lot of people in Union County, it was a reminder of when this beautiful, upstanding community was being haunted by something else mysterious and dark decades before. Which is why when we were talking to people about John List and his impact on Westfield, the watcher just kept coming up. Not because they're really related, but because the fear and speculation and obsession they spawned feels the same. And it's coming up again now because, as many of our listeners will probably know, The Watcher has been adapted into a seven-part Netflix series by Ryan Murphy, starring Naomi Watts and Bobby Cannavale. If you're among the masses who watched it, then I'm sure you noticed that one character in particular sounded a lot like the subject of Father Wants Us Dead. John Graff. The creators apparently couldn't resist bringing John List into the Watcher story as well, though they gave him a different last name. I guess we should have expected it, but I was so surprised when I realized they weren't just going to mention John List. They were going to base an entire character on him. 
And we got flashbacks to him with his family, those months sitting at the train station, the creepy intercom playing organ music, all of it. They also borrowed themes from the List story, like they made the couple fall in love with a Westfield mansion that they couldn't afford. That's straight out of John List's life, and not something from the true story. They clearly took a lot of creative license with the show in general, which I expected. But some of it was really far out. This crazy historical preservation group angle, a supposed murder-suicide, a guy in a dumbwaiter, none of that really happened. There isn't even a lake in Westfield. Exactly. Because of this series, a lot more people are hearing the story of The Watcher. But it's not the real story. So that's why we're back in your feeds today with this bonus episode of Father Wants Us Dead. We want to share the true story behind this other infamous Westfield boogeyman, or woman. We still don't know the actual identity of the Watcher. And it's not a movie or a Netflix show, so we can't promise a happy ending. But it is the fullest picture we could get of what really happened. Okay, so Jess, do you want to start by telling us how NJ.com helped break the story? Sure. I was just confirming this with my old colleague who wrote it, Tom Hayden. He said the Courthouse News Service website wrote up a blurb on a lawsuit alleging that someone had been terrorizing this family. So, of course, Tom got a copy of the lawsuit, and the story instantly blew up. What made it so juicy were these quotes from the letters about how the Watcher's family had been watching the house for decades. Right, this part of the series was real. The letters were insane. They had sentences like, I am pleased to know your names and the names now of the young blood you have brought to me. So overnight, it seemed like every news organization in the U.S. and even some abroad were writing about the story. It's just so weird, right? It's catnip for the media. Everyone wanted to know who the Watcher was. And just like when John List disappeared and no one knew where he went, everybody in town had a theory. And everyone wanted to know everything about this family, the Broadduses. They're just kind of a normal family with three kids trying to live your classic suburban American life. So this is Reeves Weideman. He's the features writer at New York Magazine who wrote the article that the series is based on. In 2016, he decided to try to figure out who the Watcher was and also look at the impact of the story on this quaint suburb. But as his reporting progressed, the story really became focused on the Broadus family. It was the first time they spoke to a reporter and shared the full text of the letters publicly. It was clear in talking to them that This whole saga had really rattled their entire world in a number of ways. Because the Broadduses are so private, and Derek Broaddus very politely declined to talk with me about this, we're going to rely on Reeves a lot here, because he is one of the few people who they really trusted and let in on what was going on. But we do know some things about the family. Derek's wife Maria is actually a native of Westfield, so these aren't outsiders. They were already living in Westfield when they bought 657 Boulevard. And it's a stunning home. A Dutch colonial painted a beautiful shade of sage green. You can actually see a video of the inside on our website. And just to clarify, it's not the house that you see on The Watcher show. They shot at a newer, bigger home in Westchester, New York. The real Watcher house is big but feels homier and much more Westfield. 
It's more than 100 years old. So the Broadduses didn't move into the house right away. They had contractors painting and doing other work, but they did stop by the house with their three little kids as they got ready to move in. And just days after the sale was finalized, Derek pulls this letter out of the mailbox. At first, it's like welcoming them to the neighborhood, but then it takes a turn. Here are some passages from it. 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. So they call the cops. But they also call a lawyer, Lee Levitt. The funny part is I seem to attract all the wild cases and the -the off-the-wall type of situations. A lot of people seem to find me for that. I called him up the day before the Netflix series came out to see what he could tell us about how this mystery unfolded. And he remembered it well. Even among all the wild cases he's worked on, this one stands out. He said he sat down with the couple and they were obviously distraught. Lee said they were worried more letters could be coming and that someone might be after their children. And they're also wondering, because the watcher claimed to be watching the house for years, did the sellers know about this when they put the house on the market? The seller said, yes, by the way, we received a letter, but it was very, in their terms, innocuous. They didn't think anything of it. We reached out to the sellers, a retired couple living out of state, but we didn't get a response. Reeves Weideman reported that the letter the sellers received about a week earlier also mentioned the watcher watching the house for years, but it wasn't overtly threatening, so they just threw it out. And it's not like there's a box on a seller's disclosure form that you can just check off. Stalker has been watching house, check. Yeah, quite the opposite. Experts said there's no law in New Jersey that says you'd have to disclose something like this. And even if you did say, hey, we got a weird letter that was non-threatening, would you not buy your dream house over that? Yeah, if I'm the Broadduses, even after the letter to the seller and the one they received, I'm still hoping this was just a prank. And that maybe it's just a one-time thing from some random person who's grumpy that the house changed hands. And then every day after that, you check the mail and don't find a new letter. It's a little relief. You feel a little better. But then a few weeks later, the second letter arrives. Here's Lee Levitt again. So the first letter, if you could say it was general, was who are you? Why are you moving into this house? I've been in charge of watching the house. That was, in essence, the first letter. The second letter is, now I know the name of your children. What bedrooms are they going to sleep in so I can plan better? Are you going to let them play in the basement? You won't be able to hear their screams. It was much more sinister, directly threatening towards the family and their children. 
it had a tone of, I'm coming to get you. Here are a couple passages from the letter, including that one Lee mentioned. Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Bratis family. And that alone is terrifying enough. But there was also the fact that the letter writer addressed it to the Broadduses, but spelled their name phonetically. And when identifying the kids, the writer used their nicknames. Both things suggest the watcher had overheard the names. And then there was a specific mention of one of the children in their enclosed porch drawing on a little easel, which wouldn't have been visible from the street. Reeves explained why, for the Broadduses, this was enough to make them stop bringing their kids to the house altogether. To have someone describe something their kid was doing inside their house was obviously and understandably incredibly scary because it feels threatening in this very specific way. And for the investigators, as they were thinking about this and looking at it, that means someone had to be nearby. This wasn't someone across town or elsewhere who knew about the house for some reason and was sending a letter. This was someone who was there. So after these two letters the Broadduses received, I honestly don't know what I would do. I mean, the second letter is such a clear escalation from the first. This one makes you think, what's coming next? Is someone going to creep into my house one night? Someone who's talking about making my children scream? No, thank you. Yeah, I might just put the house back on the market. It's a terrible option, but we all know what it can do to your mental health to even just be harassed or bullied. And this is so far beyond that. How could you ever sleep comfortably there? And after another month of dread, they received a third letter. 657 is missing you. And it asked, why haven't you moved in? As though the watcher couldn't wait to get started. Yeah, gee, I wonder why they haven't moved in. But they still really want to move here. They didn't want to walk away from this. It was their dream home. Lee Levitt said it was the escalation that worried them. What if what came next wasn't just a letter? That's why they didn't move into the house. And I don't blame them. People talk about you could have video cameras, you could have security. But that all means nothing if you have someone who is coming after you because they don't care of the repercussions or the consequences. A lot of discussion between myself and my clients related to that. You could have guard dogs. You could have whatever you want. But if someone is hell-bent on getting you, they're going to do it. And they considered all those things. They even thought about having private security in their home. But imagine living like that, feeling like you have to have an armed guard 24-7, or wondering if you can let your kids go outside. No one wants to live that way. The only thing to do, the only way to feel safe, is to find out who is doing this, and make them stop any way you can. So that's what the Broadduses try to do. After the break, we'll get into their list of suspects.
We couldn't look more like reporters either. They're black blazers. You got your notebook out. Yep. Not that we are trying to disguise ourselves, but. All right, we just go for it here. Did you hear the doorbell ring? Yes, okay. I did. If you listen to Father Wants Us Dead, you know that as journalists, we do a lot of knocking on doors, trying to talk to people. And they don't always want to talk to you. But even for us, it's not every day that you go knock on the door of a house, hoping to ask them if the watcher lived there. But that's what we were trying to do. When we were in Westfield, we went to the more modest house next door to 657 Boulevard. A light was on, but no one answered when we rang the doorbell. But we really weren't surprised, given what they've been through. Because like the Broadduses, this family was also under a national spotlight. Since 2018, when New York Magazine published that a man who lived there with his mother and siblings was one of the first suspects police questioned about the letters. One of the first, but not one of the last. Because it seemed like everyone was a potential suspect. Anyone could be this predator stalking your family, ruining your life. So let's go over the clues about who the Watcher might be. What did the family and the police have to go on? The most obvious thing has to be that the writer seemed to overhear the names and described the kid on the enclosed porch. So your first thought is, it's probably a neighbor with a clear view of the house. Because the Broadduses had cameras. So if someone else was sneaking around, spying on them, they probably would have caught that person, right? The writer also says their family has been watching for generations. And there was a line that said the watcher used to run through the halls as a kid in the 60s, imagining the rich occupants. So that would make it someone from their late 50s to early 70s, and maybe someone who's been around the house for decades. Or the writer's just making all of that stuff up to sound creepier. Because just like the Watcher TV series borrows from the John List story, you have to wonder if this letter writer is borrowing from some other horror story. Maybe Stephen King books, a kid running through the mansion halls makes me think of The Shining. Right, none of it has to be true. But I did want to check out this thing about being in the house in the 1960s. So I called up Matthew Bakes, whose parents owned the house from 1963 into the 1990s. He grew up there with his three siblings. Hello, Charm Fresky Hi, this is Rebecca Everett. I'm a reporter with NJ.com. I was looking for Matt Bakes. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I bet you know why I'm calling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I obviously didn't recognize your name. But when you said NJ.com or whatever, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. We interviewed Matthew's sister when the story broke. We obviously wanted to know if past owners had gotten letters or knew anything about something being hidden in the walls. Yeah, but the Bakes had only good things to say about living in that beautiful house. I can't imagine being able to grow up anywhere better. I don't know if you know this, that one of the Watcher letters said something about, like I said, being in the house in the 60s, maybe Mm -hmm. as like a friend or something like that. I'm sure you had friends over while growing up. Were there any of them that you had a sense were like still in the area? Anyone come to mind? Could be, um, could be just a lie. I mean, it's just a crazy letter, so it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, true. yeah, I, I have to, it's, it might not even be worth the paper it's written on, but I don't know off the top of my head, to be very honest with you. People, obviously, were in and out of the house all the time, because with four kids, 
and my parents. It was a busy house. All right. It did seem like the watcher might have been in the house at one point because he or she did seem to have a good sense of the layout. And if we go with the theory that it is a neighbor, it could be someone who came over as a kid to play. So the police have this same information. But the Broadduses are also hiring their own help, including a private investigator and a former FBI agent. Reeves Weideman said that the FBI agent thought the writing style suggested it was an older person. Maybe someone who was jealous that the Broadduses could afford this great house. And the watcher resents them making improvements to the house, saying they're trying to make it fancy. Lots of mentions of greed. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. So all of these are interesting theories if you're trying to come up with a profile for this person. But the easiest place to start is still who has a clear sightline of the house. And that's where the Broadduses and the authorities start looking. And that's how they ended up questioning the man who lived next door. His parents had bought the place in 1961, and his father had died years ago, something the letter writer also mentioned. Living in the house at the time of the letters were the widow in her 90s and her three adult children. As for why the Broadduses suspected this one guy as opposed to anyone else in the house, it seems like it was because he was different. They heard he had mental health issues of some kind. Honestly, we don't have any specifics on these alleged issues, but we did talk to another neighbor, John Schmidt, who told us this man was completely harmless. He used to keep the neighborhood clean, sweep the street, and chop up any branches that came down for firewood. We are not naming him here because he was never charged with anything. He actually passed away a few years ago. Here's John Schmidt. Mr. Brodus, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a lawyer, and he knew that, came over and wanted to talk to me, and he showed me two of the letters and accused a neighbor unfortunately my neighbor who's since died of writing them basically told him that i didn't think that was possible had some psychiatric issues Mm -hmm. but he's lived next door to me for 40 years nicest guy in the world great to the kids looked disheveled but always nice and always took care of our house we went away got our mail did everything for us we know from reeves article that police questioned the man and he denied knowing anything about the letters. But Lee Levitt said he and the Broadduses were pretty convinced. The lawyer met with the man's family. Lee said they couldn't have been more cooperative, but they also said, there's no way it's him. They said, yes, whatever his quirks are, it's not him. He's not vindictive like this. He doesn't have that type of mental health issues. This is probably where we should talk about the investigation. Because we heard from sources that it seems like Westfield police didn't devote a lot of manpower initially. Reeves reported that the police told the Broadduses to keep quiet about what was happening because every neighbor was a potential suspect. So it didn't come out till later that the police didn't even speak to many of the neighbors. Here's Reeves again. The local police had done an investigation, but as it's been revealed over time, it wasn't particularly thorough. And for some reasons, you can kind of understand it 
This was a case where this family got threatening letters. This was not a murder, nothing had happened. So you can in some ways understand how it's a difficult case to solve, how it's possibly not the highest priority. Yeah, you could see how police might view this as more of a prank or not truly threatening. But they did question this one neighbor, the man in his 60s. Still, the Broadduses feel like they're kind of on their own. And they can't move into this house without, at best, going crazy from constant worry, or at worst, endangering their children. So with Lee Levitt, they file a lawsuit against the former owners, arguing that they should have disclosed the one quote-unquote innocuous letter they received. Lee said they worried a bit about it getting picked up in the media, but he thought at most it'd be a few local stories. And it started as a local story in that Courthouse News Service article. But then my coworker Tom Hayden wrote it up. And after Tom's article, all hell broke loose. 40 years in journalism, this was one of the strangest things. Yeah. I've read, I don't know, hundreds of lawsuits, and I can't remember uh, one that would have some of the comments that those letters had. Young blood. Right. So creepy. Being a parent myself, I can't imagine what the Broaduses were going through. So once the news broke, Lee tried to get the lawsuit sealed in court, but it was too late. He was getting hundreds of calls from news organizations. And the mayor at the time assured everyone that the police did an exhaustive investigation. But we know now they didn't even talk to all the neighbors. If they had, according to Reeves, they might have learned that another neighbor got a similar letter back then, but had ignored it and thrown it away. And now the pressure is on, and the prosecutor's office is ramping up the investigation. And so is this detective in Westfield, Baron Chambliss. But he had his work cut out for him. Cases can often become tainted because you kind of get too many hands involved in it and nobody knows who's talking to who or what's being said. And that's kind of what happened here. I think, and I've mentioned this before, this is just fact. I don't think the police department took the case serious at first. I think some leads possibly went by because of that. Chambliss wanted to question that neighbor next door again. But by that point, he was refusing to talk to authorities at all. Then the detective gets a different lead. While doing surveillance one night, he sees a couple in a car loitering in front of the house. Now, Chambliss wants them questioned. She was more cooperative than him. You know, she spoke to me, and then she kind of gave up the fact that he was really into some, and, and I'm using her words, some really, like, dark, edgy video games, one called The Watcher. Now, we're not sure there was actually a video game called The Watcher in 2015. Reeves Wideman, in fact, reported that The Watcher was this guy's username. But regardless, Chambliss obviously wanted to talk to the man. I tried to interview him. I did speak with him on the phone and have an interview set up. He never showed up. I reached out again. He didn't show up a second time. He later tried to go find him at his home in Hillsborough, but he had moved out of state. Is that suspicious? It feels like it is. But then there was a development from the prosecutor's office that really threw a wrench in both of those leads. The DNA from one of the envelopes came back as female. That's right. 
the watcher is either a woman or, like you see on CSI, a guy who got a woman to lick the envelope for him. With that information, Chambliss comes up with a new theory. That maybe the sister in that same house next door sent the letters. She was a realtor, and he wondered if she was bitter about not getting the listing. And this may be just a case about creepy letters, but Chambliss is not playing around here. He did something right out of a detective movie. He went to where she worked to surreptitiously grab a sample of her DNA. So I arranged with their security team to try to get a sample of her DNA off of a water bottle. And we were able to do that. But we later found out that it wasn't a match for what they had received on an envelope from the actual letter. And then, Lee Levitt said, they got a call that put an end once and for all to any theories about the family next door. At that point, the Union County Prosecutor's Office contacted us and said, we are telling you unequivocally, it is not them. So we really backed off. We took everybody's word for it that it wasn't them. And I have to tell you, there's scientific proof it's not them. This is so frustrating. And it's one of the reasons we went to this family's house a few weeks ago, even though the man the Broadduses first suspected has since died. Because you can imagine what this was like for them, to be accused and have people in their community speculating that they did this. And Rebecca, you didn't know this before, but I recently found out that my mother and stepfather are actually very close with one of the siblings. I tried to reach out through them to see if this brother would talk to me, maybe want to set the record straight. But the most I could get was that his family has been through hell and he didn't want to talk. That's a common theme here. The Watcher is putting people through hell. After the break, we'll look at what happens when the Broadduses try a few more ways to beat the Watcher. And of course, we'll get to that fourth letter that's about to arrive. So by 2016, a year after the story went viral and two years after the first letter, the Broadduses bought another house in Westfield. Thankfully, they didn't get any letters there. But that doesn't mean the nightmare is over for them. And this is one of the surprising parts of the story for me, that the other villain in this story, if you look at it from the Broadus' point of view, is a big chunk of the city of Westfield. Yes, and this feels quintessentially Westfield in a way. Like a lot of towns, there's this sense that if you move here, you should keep up appearances, keep things the same, and not rock the boat. Now, the Broadduses only moved across town when they bought the Watcher House. But when the lawsuit came out and the media blitz hit, it felt like a lot of people in Westfield were, frankly, pissed off that these people had brought this hoopla to their nice town. And the result was that a lot of people weren't looking at this like the Broadduses were the victims. They were looking at them like they were the bad guys. And that gave rise to this theory, not supported by law enforcement, that they actually were the bad guys. There was a crazy amount of speculation that the Broadduses had somehow cooked up this whole thing as some sort of scheme. Honestly, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, because if the Broadduses wanted to make out financially, they would have just resold the house without disclosing the letters. 
Realtors told them to do just that, according to Lee Levitt. But ethically, the Broadduses felt they had to disclose the letters. They didn't want to dupe anyone into buying a house with a potential stalker. But people are still suspicious of them. In Westfield Facebook groups, even people we interviewed on the boulevard all mentioned that maybe it was some kind of real estate scheme. But again, no one can explain exactly why or how. Reeves actually put this really well in our interview. We have all watched many episodes of Law & Order and CSI, and there's always got to be a twist. And I think in this case, people decided that this is the twist, that of course there must be some scam, there must be something this family was trying to get over on someone. And I think in some ways it's easier to try to understand that than to understand the reality, which seems to be that someone who, for very unclear reasons, not seemingly for a sort of practical, logical motivation, decided to do this kind of really awful thing. And that's almost sort of harder to comprehend. Exactly. It's a bit like how we speculated with the John Liss case. It makes us feel better if we can explain away this scary, disturbing thing. But we can't always do that. So the next thing that happens is that the Broadduses come up with another solution. To demolish the house and build two new houses that they could potentially sell. Here's Lee. I don't know that they would have made any money tearing it down, subdividing it, and building because they're not builders. They really wanted to end it, and if the house was gone, then the watcher had nothing to watch over. Right. So I don't think it was a monetary reason for doing that. It was a psychological, you know, if you want to call it psychological warfare that the watcher was playing on them, it was kind of right back at you. But you can guess how well this went over in Westfield, on this street of big, stately homes. People were not having it. The city rejected the plan, and if the Broadduses hadn't already made enough enemies in Westfield, this put them over the top. But then there was a somewhat positive development. A family agreed to rent the house. Yeah, Tom Hayden said he got a tip about it and went over to talk to them to see if they'd gotten any letters or were worried about the watcher. Someone called me and said they see some cars in the driveway. Ah, okay. So I got over there one night. This gentleman, very nice guy, was renting the place. I'm told he did it for, he got a real bargain. I bet. The, the Broduses were getting back some money, but not a whole lot. Right. And so this guy was, was willing to give me a few minutes and just say, yeah, and I don't know anything about it. I haven't seen anything. But of course, a few weeks after the Star-Ledger publishes the article, that fourth letter arrives in the mailbox. The news about the fourth letter came out in court, where Lee Levitt described it as containing specific threats and being, quote, more sinister than any of the previous letters. But we didn't learn just how unhinged this letter was until Reeves' article in 2018. The Watcher called the Broadduses idiots, called Maria a wench, and Derek vile and spiteful. The letter railed about their attempt to demolish the house, and it threatened that harm was coming for them. Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet, loved ones suddenly die, 
Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. And besides how scary it is, on a practical level, the Broadduses are even worse off. Because now they have a fourth, even crazier letter that they feel they have to disclose to potential buyers of the house. But two years later, after their lawsuit has been dismissed, they are finally able to sell it. As you might imagine, it was at a loss. I covered this when it happened. The Broadduses had paid more than $1.3 million for it, plus the mortgage and massive tax payments for five years, and ended up selling for $959,000. What was this like, Jess? Did it feel like the end of an era, the selling of the Watcher House? Kind of, but also we were all just waiting to hear if the new buyers got a letter. Like, why wouldn't the Watcher be interested that this new family was moving in? Now, it's been over three years, and there have never been any public reports of these new owners getting any Watcher letters. But we still wanted to ask. We were guessing then that they were probably sick of having reporters knock on their door, and I can only imagine how they feel now that the show's been out. But... As journalists, we had to give them a chance to comment, since it's their house we're talking about. So here we go, Jess. This was two days before the Watcher series dropped on Netflix. There is a ring the doorbell cam. Is that how you do it? Get my name tag out. Oh, oh that's one way to get rid of us. <laughs> Do you think that's an accident that the the sprinklers come on when you knock on the door? Wait a minute. It's 5.03. So this may have been a coincidence. Maybe the sprinklers were on a timer, but we did get a good laugh out of it. We made a run for it. (laughs) Okay, ready? As soon as this one passes... Absolutely hilarious. And I'm appreciative of it because if I were them, I'd do the same thing. thing (laughs) Okay, so I don't want to make too light of this whole story, but that was a light moment. Yeah, and after it aired and hit number one on Netflix, someone strung police tape across the front yard and blocked the driveway, apparently to discourage people from approaching the house. They have been getting a lot of unwanted attention. So in case it isn't clear, the identity of the Watcher has never been discovered. Or at least, no one has ever been charged. Netflix may have brought John List back from the dead as a potential suspect, but in real life, this is a mystery that we're not solving. But I do want to mention something that Reeves published in an update he did a few weeks ago. He reported that after his article put the spotlight back on the case, authorities asked neighbors to submit voluntary DNA samples but none were a match. So we don't know who it is. And as we went around town and talked to people, we just kept hearing the same old theories about the neighbor or that this was some kind of scam. So the Broadduses are still having to deal with the fact that people blame them for this. And it got to them. Derek Broaddus admitted to Reeves at one point that he actually sent his own anonymous letters to people in Westfield who were being cruel to his family online. He said he feels terrible about it now. People in this town were saying horrible things. Literally one of these people said on that local Westfield Facebook group that the Broadduses should be tarred and feathered. 
for what they had done to the reputation of Westfield for considering the possibility of tearing this house down and selling it to a developer. And you would like to, of course, you don't want to respond in this way. And I think Derek has acknowledged that this was unfortunate. But if they're so private, why did they sell the rights to their story to Netflix? Reeves actually addressed this too. He said the sale of the rights didn't cover their losses, but it did give them a measure of control. He wrote that they asked the producers to make the family as little like them as possible and suggested they wouldn't mind at all if the house burned down in the end. (laughs) I can understand that. There's also another twist here that hasn't been reported, and that's that Lee Levitt actually ended up suing the Broadduses a few years ago because he claimed they had made an agreement in 2015 that he would get a cut of any film or TV rights. The Broadduses denied it, but the suit settled. Lee told me he couldn't comment on it. But did Lee plan to watch the show? Of course. Netflix can speculate as to who the watcher is, and I don't think anybody will ever know who the watcher is, except the watcher. Yeah, it does feel like that. We talked to Walter Zarodny, a neighbor who was mowing his lawn, and he feels like whatever the truth is, it isn't a real threat to anyone. It's just something people like to obsess over. I think the reason for the phenomenon is something beyond Westfield. It's something that people want to believe could be true. Mm-hmm. There's something compelling about the idea that there's a special house or a special family. And you could do scary things about that. And as we're standing there talking to Walter, you can see what he means. There's this house, and it's a beautiful, big, old house, to be sure. But for this street in Westfield, it's just like any other house, covered in fake cobwebs and Halloween decorations. Except at this house, the Watcher house, you see the cars slowing down. People are staring. When we were there, someone even pulled over and pointed out the window. They can't let it go. And neither can we. For NJ.com and The Star Ledger, I'm Rebecca Everett. And I'm Jessica Remo. This has been Father Wants Us Dead, a production of NJ Advanced Media. It's written, reported, and produced by us, Jessica Remo and Rebecca Everett. Christopher Kelly is our executive producer and director. Father Wants Us Dead was recorded at Sound on Sound Studios in Montclair, New Jersey. Our sound designer, mixer, and editor is Jacob Stone. Jacob and Alex Ritchie composed the music, and Alex also helped mix the podcast. James Shapiro is our associate audio engineer with help from Natalie Patterson. Additional audio was provided by Adam Kolick and Andre Malock. Our website was designed by Allah Salim. Special thanks to all our sources who agreed to talk to us, even though we know it wasn't easy. Visit fatherwantsusdead.com for more about the story, including crime scene photos and other extras we couldn't fit into the show. You can reach us at inbox at fatherwantsusdead.com. Subscribe to Father Wants Us Dead wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please rate and review it and help us spread the word. 